Open mine eyes that I may see Glimpses of truth thou hast for me Open mine eyes, illumine me Spirit divine Love of my life, I am crying I am not dying, I am dancing Dancing along in the madness There is no sadness like to invite you to a soul-level encounter. Music has an incredible ability to proclaim the soul's language beyond what mere words can speak. That's what we seek as we invite our guests to share their song of the soul. You will hear the music that has charted the steps of their spiritual journey, that has provided a touchstone in the soul's dark night and sung the heart's awe and joy when come to the light. Over the next hour, you will be a witness and companion to our guests' spiritual path and sacred testimony. Welcome to Song of the Soul. very pleased to have for my guest today on Song of the Soul, Peter Alsop. Actually, this is part two of Peter's Song of the Soul. He had so much good music, so many wonderful touching and funny and meaningful songs that I couldn't fit it all into one program. So this is part two. If you missed part one when it was broadcast, you can also tune in to my website, northernspiritradio.org You can listen to that program You can see a list of music from Peter's Song of the Soul and you can find a link to his website So, we continue with Peter Alsop's Song of the Soul New Ground is actually a song that I wrote that has to do with one's attitude toward loss and sadness I just was asked to play a memorial service for a 13-year-old that died of cancer you know, of course, it's like you're going, why? 13 years old, why did God take this person, you know? And it's kind of one of those things is that when someone is the leader in a partnership, if something goes awry, then guess who gets blamed? The leader. When, in fact, if it's really a partnership, there's a dance, there's all sorts of different kinds of things, like with play, and I like the concept of play with kids. Is when kids are playing in the sandbox, there aren't really a lot of rules. You're not supposed to, like, eat the sand or throw it at people. But the issue really has to do with how you play is there's no one laying down the structure, what you can make or what you can do with the sand. And it could be anything that you come up with or somebody else that's playing next to you comes up with and figuring out how to do that. So when somebody dies, I mean, the fact that death exists is, you know, what happens and how things unfold. Some people want to turn it all over to God and blame them. There's a guy named Rabbi Kessler who wrote a book called When Bad Things Happen. 
promotion. God cares about us and hangs out with us, but he doesn't pick individuals to, to say, this is what's going to happen to you. This child's going to die and that one's going to live. And life happens and God is there with us as a partner to kind of go to feel badly with us, to help us feel nurtured and cared about when we go through painful stuff because it happens to all of us. And again, this is a choice. You can't force God down someone's throat. So the song, New Ground, is about just taking a look at what happens when you go through some pain. The leaf falls from the tree The sap runs deep Snow in the winter Covers seeds that sleep Sun melts the ice And the warm earth gives Water to the sprouts And the green world lives Watch for a sign Keep your heart alive The Spirit breaks new ground Whenever something dies Watch the shadows closely The tears will clean your eyes The Spirit breaks new ground Whenever something dies You may have lost a toy You may have lost a dream You may have lost a friend Someone who you need Your chest can feel the pain That makes it hard to breathe But your love will always stay And the pain will For a sign, keep your heart alive. The spirit breaks new ground whenever something dies. Watch the shadows closely, the tears will clean your eyes. The spirit breaks new ground whenever something dies. Peter, that song, New Ground, really touched me from the very first time I heard it. In fact, I sang the chorus of New Ground out of the silence at a memorial worship, which was for a man named Francis Hole. It just seemed so completely appropriate as ministry relevant to Francis, who was a geography and soil science professor in Madison. He was really connected with the earth, the ground, and the spirit. So, Thank you for putting into words and into song these truths and insights and, and this heart. Thanks. I'm glad you like it. You know, a lot of the stuff that I do, that one I've used with kids, but it certainly works with grown-ups, too. And with a lot of things going on in kids' lives now that we didn't used to have, like HIV, AIDS stuff that was going on. And I actually wrote a song called God, A Lot of Living to Do for kids that has to do with how do you cope with that. Disney Channel actually asked me to be on. Uh, there was a thing called For Our Children, which was a pediatric AIDS foundation collaboration with Disney, and they had tons of stars on it and stuff, and they wanted me to go on, and I thought they wanted me to do that 
not just avoiding the whole thing. But the song Ry Cooter plays on it with me. It took out a lot of living to do. I got a friend with AIDS. He's just like me and you. I got a friend with AIDS. We got a lot of living to do. Some days we get sad. So here is what we do. Play together as much as we can And I love him a lot cause he's my friend Yeah, me and my friend with AIDS Got a lot of living to do What is AIDS? It's a virus bug What can you do? Well, I give him a hug You hug your friend? Sure, and he hugs me But aren't you scared? Well, I used to be I'd be scared You'd learn a lot What would I learn? What's safe, what's not Could I get AIDS? Well, that's hard to do But some kids have it Yes, that's true Where's the AIDS? It's in his blood What if he bleeds? We patch him up Cause AIDS won't let his blood cells fight So I shouldn't touch his blood? You got that right I got a friend with AIDS And someday he might die Someday so will you Someday so will I Some days we get sad So here is what we do Me and my friend with AIDS Got a lot of living to do His tears? There's no need for fears. What about his ears? With a cotton swab. You clean his ears? No, that's his job. What about his spit? He swallows it. What about his hair? No virus there. His breath is fine? Smells just like mine. Does he feel ashamed? No, he's not to blame. I got a friend with AIDS. And someday he might die. But someday so will you. Someday so will I I'll tell you what I'm thinking of When we're afraid we just can't love And loving's how I want to be So I don't let fear take over me Here's what we can do We can play together as much as we can And love them a lot cause he's my friend Yeah, me and my friend with they Got a lot of living to do. Got a lot of living. Got a lot of living. Got a lot of living to do. Got a lot of living to do, Peter. Were you writing a general theoretical experience with AIDS, or were you talking about your personal experience with kids and friends who had suffered from it? Well, 
not only children, yeah, uh, Elizabeth Glazer, who's Paul Michael Glazer's wife, uh, she and both of her kids died of, of AIDS through blood transfusion stuff. You know, so yeah, I have adult friends, a number of gay friends who were HIV positive and have passed away. So I really felt like, you know, uh, it's like when you see kids that are missing on the milk cartons and nobody talks about it, but the kids see that and it becomes more scary because no one's talking about it. So I, I've got a lot of living to do. It's really a way to have show a model, kids asking questions and adult giving whatever answers he or she can to try to help the kid feel safe about it and just talking about that stuff. You know, I there's some humor in the song, you know, about like, you know, this does his breast smell fine? Yeah, it's just like mine, that kind of stuff. But I used to use humor to bring up loaded subjects and help with consciousness raising about different kinds of issues, you know. Sex and death are two of the biggest issues that there's a lot of unclarity about. And so, uh, and we've been talking about death a bit, but sex is certainly an area that, in gender, you know, I guess, you know, those kinds of things are big deals for how we become who we become in the world. You know, our influence of our parents, once again, has a lot to do with who we become. And there's a song that you might like to play. It's called My Father's Top Drawer. It was about all the sexual paraphernalia I found in my father's top drawer growing up as a kid. You know, there's been some really interesting discussions about that one. Have you? Do you know this one? Have you heard this one? Yeah, I certainly do. And I've always thought it was pretty amusing. But I've always wondered if it was really your father's top drawer or whether it was about the drawer of, uh, you know, what's the word, the generic, the ideal... No, no, not the ideal. Uh, maybe the prototypical, stereotype, mythical, whatever father. So was was this uh, your father's top drawer, or was it the drawer of a symbolic father figure? No, this is my father's top drawer, and everything mentioned in the song was really in there. So, well, play it for the listeners. I bet you some of them are going to be able to relate. Well, okay, we'll do that. This is my father's top drawer, and it's by my guest for today's song of the soul. Peter Alsop. As a child, I was blessed with a curious mind and a sleepy, incompetent nurse. One day, I discovered my father's top drawer where I found my old man was perverse. It's a wonder I turned out as well as I did. I'm not nearly as warped as before. I'm not sick, God forbid I was only a kid who grew up in his father's top drawer There were devices and diagrams, naked toy dolls There were magazines and pictures and cards And a pen with a lady when turned upside down Who discarded her black leotards (laughs) It was scary to find what my dad had on his mind And the feelings that came over me I tried hard to stay calm But how could I tell mom His disease was hereditary It's a wonder I turned out as well as I did Readjustment is really a chore I found Pandora's box there Under his socks when I opened my father's top drawer There was a hot water bottle with buttocks and breasts An amazing assortment of smut That pornography there under his underwear Got me into this sexual rut 
I grew older and brought home all my friends. We'd sneak in and spend long afternoons. <laughs> and I never got caught, though I think my dad knew I was selling them his long white balloons. It's a wonder I turned out as well as I did. Now I'm older and I know the score. I've got kids of my own who'll be pure when they're grown, 'cause there's a lock on their father's top drawer. You know, Peter, I had a friend whose father had a closet, actually, which is where he kept all the kind of stuff you're talking about. So that's where I found out about the kind of hereditary disease you mentioned in that song. As far as my father's top drawer goes, I only found out about what he had there after he died, and it was a very different surprise. Most important of the family secrets hidden there was the knowledge that my mother had had a son when she was only sixteen. That she gave up for adoption. So my revelation is that I had another sibling out there somewhere in the world. Right, and that's you know we've been talking about in songs of the soul here, God, the spirituality. So much of the stuff that we hide, that we carry shame about, is stuff that everybody else is hiding and carrying shame about. And that those roadblocks to our intimacy and our inability to relate to each other a lot of times because of our fear that if someone finds this out about me, they're not going to like me or they're going to think there's something wrong with me. When in fact the person who might be you might be afraid of is being most critical is doing the same thing you know they have a closet or a top drawer or something i mean pornography is a huge industry now does pornography use women and see them as pieces and not see the whole person absolutely is that a good thing for men to be doing around women i don't think so is it going to happen anyway whether i think so or not yeah probably is it's part of the way the male brain works do we just discount it and shame it or do we say Let's acknowledge that and say, you know, if those guys want to do that, they're missing the boat on some areas. But I'm not going to go through a whole thing to try to totally wipe them out. There's a thing called Burning Man. Have you heard of Burning Man, Mark? Burning Man? No, I don't think I run into that one. It's an event in the desert in Nevada every August, September, where forty thousand people show up over a ten-day period, create a whole city, and have a huge six or seven story man made out of wood that gets burnt and then all the ashes get cleaned up and everybody who's been camping there is very very mindful and careful ecologically of the playa that we camp on there's RVs and tents and it's you know dust storms can blow up You're right out in the middle of the, just a wide open desert in Nevada called Black Rock City and then everybody cleans up and goes away and there's all sorts of art installations and there's there's no rules about nakedness and people walking around naked or You know, or not, and wearing costumes and riding in cars, and it's just—it's almost like a road warrior kind of a scenario, where it's a gathering of artists, and people just let other people do what it is that they're doing, as long as there's no harm happening to anybody else. You know, and there are certain—you walk by certain people's camps, and they've got all sorts of there's things like there'll be that seem really like an eight-year-old boy boogers or something that does with sexuality, but they're just going, oh, get over it, will you? And it's like whatever. They're not hurting anybody. These are grown men, little boys in big bodies, that are still stuck in their eight to twelve year old sexuality zone. And I feel a little bit sorry that they haven't grown past that at their age. But I don't have to interact with them. I don't have to sit and be critical of them unless they ask what I think, which they're not going to do. You know, and I can just walk on by, and they get to like act out. And sort of 
and move on and say, yeah, and if you want to have a relationship with someone, you're not going to have a relationship with that, just that part of somebody's body. You need to be aware of the whole person, and it's going to be a whole much nicer relationship all around if you learn how to do that, if you don't know. So get past it, you know? That kind of easygoing, well, you can work it out yourself type reaction certainly isn't the common one in our society. Uh, I'd say that there can be real consequences to uh, a put-down, a repressive, uh, you-can't-act-that-way type reaction to some people's admittedly immature behavior. Well, it works in a lot of different ways. I talk to my audiences sometimes, and again, the way that I bring this up and try to cope with it myself is taking a real close look at the distinction between verbs and nouns. If someone comes up and says, I'm a Christian, and I go, really? Well, that's interesting, because that can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And, you know, labels don't mean a lot to me. Tell me what you do as a Christian. Well, I do this. And I go, well, that's great. I'm right in line with that. Well, I do that. And they go, well, that sounds neat. I could say, so, yeah, I, I do that myself. I do this. And I go, well, I don't do that because of this and this. Why do you do that? And then they tell me, you know. They could be because they're a Republican or because they're a Democrat or something else. But it's the action words, what you do with that, that makes a difference. I ask my, some of my Christian friends, I say, you know, raise your hand if you're a Christian. And people raise their hands. I say, now I want you to be honest. Raise your hand if you've ever seen someone coming towards you who was also a Christian and you found yourself needing to go the other way. And the people raise their hand and start laughing. So I said, see, it's not what you call yourself. It's how you behave. So there's some Christians that are going to come out and try and proselytize, and they don't see you for who you are. They, they don't care who you are. They just want to tell you about Jesus and how you should be loving Jesus. And that doesn't acknowledge you and your beingness in any way. It's just about them. And regardless of whether it's Christianity and maybe they're right for themselves, how you feel about that is like, well, they don't care about me. Why should I bother spending time with this person? And regardless of what it is, if someone's talking about football or someone's talking about flower arranging and you're not involved in the conversation, it's just about them and their agenda, then why would you show up? And that's one of the things, that criticalness that happens, people that are politically correct, that have been injured. There's been so much damage done to people with sexual abuse, predominantly women, that's been happening to. So that if someone comes out and is strident about something, they say, I'm seeing that and that's not okay. The way that one does it, I, I think it's important that we speak up and say, that's not okay. Or look at the hidden messages that are going on when you wear that or when you dress like that or when you write a script with a woman who acts like she's totally a victim all the time. We're tired of that. We don't want to see it anymore. Does that mean someone can't write that script? No. But it also means that we do need to speak up when we see stuff that feels really out of line or that is harmful or destructive for the ways that we live in the world. There's one of the songs that you've written that has a verb in the name, the title, that strikes me as very, very provocative. You know, you put out a verb like this, kill the children, and people really react to that. So what was your thinking about using that verb in, in that title for your song? I was sitting in a restaurant, and the owner of the restaurant, we had had a, it was prior to going into Iraq, and we had a meeting in our community to just talk about that. He didn't want to go. He said, oh, you know, he was talking to somebody else. I was overhearing the conversation in the booth next to us. And he was saying, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't believe in that stuff, you know. That, and I mean, he didn't even come, as you were saying, to find out the information, you know. It wasn't anybody pushing anything on anyone else. It was just saying, here's some information that we have about what's about to take place, and we probably need to take some action about it because it doesn't seem right if we're doing it now that we have this information. But he didn't want to even show up and get the information. And what he says, you know, what's going to happen is, you, you, golly, you just, 
those people they teach their children to you know to hate Americans and so you know it's just, you know we uh, we got to do something about this and I'm thinking to myself oh, great why don't we just go kill all the children then and I thought uh oh well there's a song I could write because I can write it from a perspective of somebody who seems it seems to be so uh, so simple to some people and so uh, why don't you play it for the audience and see what they think okay I'll do that. This is Kill the Children, and it's by my guest for today's Song of the Soul, Peter Alsop. What's the point of feeding them? They smile and pretend. They'd stab us in the back, you know. They resent us in the end. You can see it in their eyes. You know the hate won't end. They eat our food, then teach their children. America's no friend. Kill the children. It's the only way. Kill the children. Kill the children. Don't let them live another day. Kill the children. Kill the children. And let the mothers scream. Kill, Kill the, the children. children. Make the world safe for our dream. You'll be sorry if we don't. They'll grow up and find a way to strike our hearts with terror. And our kids will have to pay. We can't let the evil grow. And war is hell, it's true. But it's them or us, you know. We know what we have to do. Kill the children. Kill the children. Don't put it on TV. Kill the children. Kill the children. If you're scared, then you'll agree. Kill the children. Kill the children. And kill the mothers too. Our dream is just to make this whole world safe for me and you. Was it hard for you to write that song, Peter? Hard. Uh, I don't think it was hard to write. It was one of those songs that came out quickly. What I thought about after it was, where in the world am I going to put this? It's not going to go on a children's album. Uh, it's a provocative song. It's not really an uplifting song. It's something that, for me, is to have people go, oh, my God, and then maybe have someone move to take some action. Again, we talked about verbs and nouns. I think taking action is important, but you don't have any incentive to take action if you don't have your feelings intact enough to go, that feels awful. I need to do something about that. I mean, they call them emotes so that you take some motion, you take an action when you have a painful feeling. You need to move or, you know, that's why that's why your nerves, when you have pain, you go, ooh, you pull your hand away from the fire. Uh, when you have painful emotions like sadness or being scared or being angry, it, it requires that you take some kind of action. Otherwise, you're always going to be angry or scared or sad. So it's on an album I did called Ebenezer's Makeover, which is about Ebenezer Scrooge, actually. And but when I realized that so much of the stuff that goes on in the world seems to be have to do with gender and we're not exploring it, I put this together. It's basically about Ebenezer Scrooge is the dean of students at a college, and not so tiny Tim, one of the basketball players, wants to start a men's group on campus, and Ebenezer throws him out of the office. But that night, Jacob Marley comes to him out of the radio on his, his SUV on the way home and says, you're going to be visited, Ebenezer. And so it's sort of like a CBS radio mystery theater kind of thing. It's a one-hour album, but all of the songs on it, as the spirits visit Ebenezer, are things that take him back to his childhood to look at his, the gender issues and the kinds of things that happened to him, the painful things that happened as a child, and, and the spirit of the present takes a look, and we use songs from Jeff Morgan and Holly Near and 
and by the end decides she's going to have a men's movement on campus and have men's groups. <laughs> so, but the songs are all by the original artists, and it's quite wonderful. And again, it's available nowhere but my website at peterossop.com, and it's called Ebenezer's Makeover. It sounds to me, Peter, like you always prefer to avoid violence, whether that's in terms of spanking or in war or whatever, that you just don't go with that solution. Do I understand that correctly? That would be accurate. Is that simply because it doesn't work, you know, it's not effective, or is there some other, I don't know, ethical, moral, you know, some other reason for your opposition to violence? The word, the operative word for me to answer that in a way that makes sense to me, violence does work in some cases. If you kill somebody, they're not there to bother you anymore. When black people in this country, African Americans, were trying to go through legal routes to get change, didn't happen until they started burning some of the cities down. And then all of a sudden, everybody was taking, listening to what was being said. Violence can make a difference. I just don't think it's a lasting difference, and I think that it has. It's going to happen. I mean, people can be very violent, but they're usually doing that when they're driven to it by something. So I'm thinking the other piece of that is that when you spank your children, it isn't just their children that are getting hurt. You're having some emotional reaction to that yourself. You're either having to cut off from your feelings or you're having to, you know, feel guilty about what you did. I mean, soldiers that are over-killing people are not just over there feeling great about what they're doing. They're not liking doing what they're doing even no matter how tough and shut down we try to get our soldiers to be emotionally, they still come home with the images in their head and their feelings about what they've done. And I don't know anybody that really likes doing it, anybody that's healthy and balanced, certainly. Well, then what's the cure to, you know, to violence? Uh, what do we do to stop the violence from coming out? Certainly we all have turbulent feelings and there's always that danger that they're going to come out as violence. What do we do to stop that? Well, I think that, that as men we can make a concerted effort to take that tool out of our toolbox and put it over on the shelf because it's something that we always know is there. I did that as a parent where I took spanking out of my toolbox and I put it over on the shelf and I raised two daughters and I never spanked them. And I got spanked myself growing up, as my father pointed out. You know, Nothing's wrong with it. Bears do it, he would say. Dad, please. But my daughters grew up fine, and I, and I didn't have to hit them. What happened was there were times when I would look in my toolbox, and my toolbox would be empty. And I'd say, ah. I'd look over longingly at the tool on the shelf, but it's not my kid's job to come up with more tools. It's my job. And it's the same thing. The microcosm of a family is echoed in the larger vision of looking at how society works. And so when Osama bin Laden, you know, supposedly masterminded the crew to, to bomb the, uh, the World Trade Center, I said something to one of my friends who was a Buddhist, and I said he's a, he was a disciple of Thich Han, who's a little Vietnamese monk and teacher, and I said, so, uh, boy, I bet Thich Han liked to have a word or two with Osama bin Laden, but he'd like to talk to him. And my friend said, no. I said, what do you mean no? I said, he would like to listen to him. And I went, whoa, that's a whole other perspective. If a little kid walks up, Mark, and kicks you in the leg, you don't just smack the kid and go, get out of here, don't do that, you know? What we do is, you know, we see kids as us. They're us. They're little, even if you're a teacher and it's not your own child, you grab them by the shoulder and you say, Timmy, no, you can't kick me. That's not okay. That hurts. Ow. What's the matter? What's wrong? What's bothering you? Why did you do that? What's going on? What's happening for you right now? Because we see them as us. If we see them as them, we just smack them away, get out of the way. But we don't. We see the little kids as us. 
well, we need to grow up as a culture. And I didn't hear anybody say, ow, Osama, that's not okay. You can't bomb buildings and kill people. What's going on? What's the matter? Why are you so upset? What's happening for you? I didn't hear anybody asking those questions. And of course it's not okay. But as long as we keep the violence in our toolbox, then we're just, oh, we're going to go bomb somebody. And I was talking to a group one time, and one mom said, my son, when I told him, because I tried to keep him, he's, he's seven, and I was telling him that we were bombing Afghanistan. And he went, Mom, at school they teach us to use our words, not our fists. We're just bullying the bully if we do that. And I went, great, I want to vote for this kid, you know. So how do you get rid of violence? I don't know that you do. I don't know that we get rid of violence. It's just one of those things that you keep making endeavors. And what I can do in my own life is to try to take the things that I do that are violent, whether it's spanking that I've learned from my father or whether it's screaming at a child or even talking with a real rough edge in my voice. I don't need to do that. It's my issues and my problem, my feelings that are coming up. What other options do I have? What other tools do I have in my toolbox? And how can I build those? How do I find people who can help me put extra tools in my toolbox and look for those folks and build relationships with them and learn from them? That's how we build a society that has when the wet, when the threads of the fabric have strength in and of themselves, then the fabric is strong. But when the threads don't have those skills themselves, the fabric of the whole culture is weak because uh, because we don't have any other options except to do that. The whole move to make a department of peace now instead of because we only have a, a war department. Whenever there's anybody interviewed on television, it's always ex admirals and generals and people that are doing that kind of analysis. When we bring in consultants, we don't have people that have studied. So I think it's be wonderfully important to have a Department of Peace because there are courses, there are skills, there's things that people can have. If they brought them in to consult with us governmentally, then we would see some other options because we'd have other tools in our toolbox. You know, Peter, one of your songs that I absolutely love is called Chickens for Peace. I just love the way that you brazenly, humorously, stridently both strike a blow for peace while at the same time playing with the way that the other side makes fun of peace folks. Uh, do you find that peace advocates get pissed at you for a song like Chickens for Peace, or do they just go along with the flow and learn to laugh along? I mostly have had just positive support for that, and, and it actually wasn't even to make fun of those of us who do it. It was more because, as a kid, again, one of the words, if you don't want to fight or something, people call you chicken. And I'm thinking, well, there's a humorous image. You know, maybe I can do something with that. I mean, that's not on our playlist. Did you want to play that one? Well, I think we should do a peace song of yours, and we could do that. Or do you have another one that you'd prefer? Um, no, Chickens for Peace is fine. I was going to play the kids' peace song, but Chickens for Peace will do the trick, or you could play both of them, depending on how long or short this is going to be. Well, what do you think the advantage of Chickens for Peace or the kids' peace song would be one over the other. You know, make me into an informed consumer here so we can make good choice. Okay. Chickens for Peace is funnier than the kids' peace song, and there's a lot of really silly images in it. And sometimes when you're particularly talking about loaded subjects, using humor is a wonderful way to effectively engage people enough so that they want to continue to listen to your message as it's coming out and sort of think about it in ways that they wouldn't even listen to if you're just too serious about it. Now, the Kids Peace song isn't funny, but it's great to listen to the kids, and it's uplifting, and it's uh, it's got children singing it, and it really has some wisdom about, I think, about the way, you know, I don't, I don't think children are born hating each other or even being aware of the somebody having a different color skin or a 
big issue. It's more like, you know, who is they're looking in the eyes of the person that's there. So they learn that. They learn that from us. They learn that from the cultures that they grow up in, and they learn that from us grown-ups. And it's only one generation away that we could have a whole other way of seeing the world if we would address that. Well, I've got an idea. Let's let our listeners choose for themselves. So let's start out with Chickens for Peace, and we'll go straight into Kids' Peace Song. Both of them by my guest on today's Song of the Soul, Peter Alsop. Chickens for peace, we're chickens for peace, and we don't want to fry. Chickens for peace, we're chickens for peace. One little war, and we're chicken pot pie. Chickens for peace. A chicken who bakes Chickens for peace We're chickens for peace One little slip And we're hard-boiled eggs Chickens for peace We're chickens for peace But we're not chicken chickens We're taking a stand Chickens for peace Like me, I 
things are built the same, you see. And if I understand you right, we both love peaceful sleep at night. Our people come in different sizes, colors, shapes, and names. Though we're different on the outside, inside, I think we're the same. We love to laugh and play and run. Never start a war. We're all afraid of bombs and guns. We know that one fight leads to more. Our country says we must be ready for a fight, no matter when. Well, even though that might be right, it makes the other country scared. Our people come in different sizes, colors, shapes, and On the outside, inside, I think we're the same. It's time to try a different way. When fighting isn't in the plan, we can be strong without our bombs. It's Like us live everywhere around the world in every land. The words we speak are not the same, but peace on earth we understand. People come in different sizes, colors, shapes, and names. Though we're different on the outside, inside I think we're the same. Yes, people come in different sizes, colors, shapes, and names. Though we're different on the outside, inside, I think we're the same. Yes, people come in different sizes, colors, shapes, and names. Though we're different on the outside, inside, I think we're all the same. So those were two songs by my guest for today's Song of the Soul, Peter Alsop. And I wanted to let you know, as you listen to this, that you can give us feedback on which one you preferred. Just go to my website, northernspiritradio.org, and post a comment about this program, Peter Alsop, Song of the Soul. Go there and rate and tell us which you preferred, Chickens for Peace or a Kid's Peace Song. So, Peter, we're wending our way to the end of your Song of the Soul for today. But I know you've got so much more music, it really can't be done, even in the two programs that we've put your Song of the Soul in. How many recordings do you have out there? The last count, I think it was 17 CDs, and there's uh, five or six DVDs, and three or four songbooks. It's like those... Knows that help me I've fallen and I can't get up. It's like help me I've made another CD and I can't stop. <laughs> well then, do you have plans for more? I've I've got a bunch of things writing that I need to get to. I haven't released anything in a couple of years now. I've been taking care of bunches of other stuff. I'm building a conference center in Northern California because I am a psychologist and I make my living working with people who are working in human services, who work with kids and families and stressful situations and stuff. I do a lot of training 
figured wouldn't it be neat to have a place that we could all go and get away from some of the commerciality and the hubbub of the big cities. And so I've got a 40 acres, I call it Otter Space. It's up in the Klamath uh, River Basin, north of Arcata, California, and you have to drive through big redwoods to get there, and it's quite delightful. So I've been doing that, and it's time for me to work on another uh, CD, I think. I'm shooting a, a video in the next couple of months for uh, Social Action Community Health Services, and uh, it's affiliated with Loma Linda University in San Bernardino. So they have something that, some good, strong messages and healthy, balanced messages and something that's entertaining and fun for kids that come to get health care. And they sit there, a lot of times the waiting rooms have TVs, and so they were they're commissioning me to, to do some videos that they can use there. And so I'll, those will be available on my website also when I'm done with them. www.peterossab.com and click on the little shopping cart icon and all of that stuff will come up and you can take a look at it. And if you want to see words, you can go to the home page and click on Peter's lyrics and all of my stuff comes up and you can take a look at some of the stuff I've got. So if they go to com, they can find all your recordings and they can find videos and DVDs as well. And I note that the last song that you've chosen for your Song of the Soul, which is called Costume Party, you have it on your website not only as a recording, but you have a video of Costume Party as well. So what's Costume Party all about? Costume Party for me, the song itself, for me it's about people say, well, do something about diversity. And, you know, we can always focus on the diverse things. So that's one of the things we're really good at looking at. You can tell if someone's different than you or looks different right off the bat. But I think that when you, a lot of my work has been taking a look at our feelings, happy, sad, scared, and angry, the basics, and those are the things that we have in common, and that's where we join, and that's where we care about each other, you know, is in that area. So I use the costume party to talk about that. It takes a look at diversity, but really it's what's inside that counts. Well, we've reached that point. Let's listen to the song. It's called Costume Party, and it's by my guest for today's Song of the Soul. It's by Peter Alsop. Where'd those kids come from? Well, they're on the tape, in here, with me, in between. In between? You know, like when you're half asleep and half awake, you're sort of in between. When kids daydream in school or on rainy days, they show up here. Hey, come on in, check it out. Dad says I gotta clean my room. We can clean it later, there's plenty of time, come on! Well, okay. Yeah! Grown-ups, too, from all over the world. It's a costume party, and everyone is here. It's a costume party, and everyone is here. Now you, come on. It's a costume party, and everyone is here. Good, come on. It's a costume party, and everyone is here. You wear a blue dress, and you red sneakers. You wear a Up on your eyes, it's a costume party, and everyone is here. It's a costume party, and everyone is here. You wear brown skin, you wear white, your head is clean and bare. You poked holes through your earlobe. You got a wart, I bet, somewhere, or maybe you dye your hair. It's a costume party. When we 
talk Sometimes our ears just do not hear Oh, we use wheels when we walk It's a costume party Disguises could win prizes, each one's qualified. But the only thing that really matters is who we are inside. It's a costume party. Wow, Peter, we've had quite the party here today, haven't we? <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing your song of the soul, for bringing your music, for doing the work that you do with kids, for just being a general inspiration, for doing good things, but doing it with a really hearty laugh. So thanks again for being my guest for Song of the Soul. Thanks, Mark. It's been a pleasure talking to you. So Peter hung up the phone, and when I finished editing this program, getting it ready... I had to split it into two different parts, part one, part two, and you're finishing part two here. I found out I still had some extra time, so I grabbed one more of Peter's songs to add to his Song of the Soul. This one is from his Chris Moose Holidays, and it's called The Night Before Hanukkah. "'Twas the night before Hanukkah all through our home. Not a creature was stirring, not even Jerome. Jerome is our cat, and he stays up all night, but he had chicken soup, so he was sleeping all right. The children were nestled all snug in their beds, while visions of latkes danced in their heads. Our menorah was burning, it never expired. Mama was snoring, but I wasn't tired. I turned on the TV and watched the light shine, and rejoiced because the remote control was all mine. When what to my wondering eyes was produced but a miniature sleigh being pulled by a moose. An incredible shot, a remarkable zoom, as the moose and the sleigh burst into my room right through the screen. There was glass all around, but I had the remote and I turned down the sound, so no one woke up. There was no one to see that Santa was standing there right next to me. He was dressed all in red from his head to his toe, and he said, Happy Hanukkah, as he brushed off some snow. I said, Santa, you busted my new TV set. He said, well, the moose hasn't quite got the hang of it yet. He's new. He's just filling in for the deer. His name is Chris. He's just helping this year. You can't slide down my chimney? Is that because I'm Jewish? He said, TVs are cleaner and my suit, it's brand newish. Nah, I don't do chimneys. They're really too tough. I got stuck once that way. Once was enough. I was dangling there, so I started to shout. The kids hung on my legs till I finally popped out. I was really embarrassed. What was my reputation? I said, Nick, take a break. You need a vacation. But I didn't quit. I'm not one of those rookies. I thought, just lose some weight, cut down on the cookies. His eyes, how they twinkled. His dimples, how merry. He acted and looked like my old Uncle Jerry. The beard on his chin was as white as the snow, but he had long white curls where his sideburns should grow. The smoke drifted up from his pipe by his ear. I said, Santa, we don't allow smoking in here. A wink of his eye and a twist of his head, and his pipe disappeared. No problem, he said. I just wanted to leave your kids a few things. He sat down with his pack, and he pulled a few strings. There were kids' books and toys and a dreidel, of course, and a couple of tapes and a carved wooden horse and some chocolate coins covered in gold. That's Hanukkah gelt, Santa said. So I'm told. 
Then he fixed my TV with a jerk of his head. I could leave the kids stuff at the end of their bed, or maybe their stockings, or a Hanukkah bush. You tell me where I'll get up off my tush. I said, right here is fine, but hey, I'm a Jew. Santa said, I visit Muslims and Hindu kids, too. It's Kwanzaa and solstice. It's holiday time. Hey, could my moose have a laka before we start flying? We better get going or there's people we'll miss. Sour cream on the side and let's hit the road, Chris. Then laying his finger aside of his nose and giving a nod, he shouted, Here goes! Yes, people are people. Who cares where they pray? Then into the TV they melted away, and I heard him exclaim as he faded from view, Season's greetings to all! Happy Hanukkah, too! That was The Night Before Hanukkah, one of the treats from Peter Alsop's CD, Christmas Holidays. You've been listening to part two of Peter Alsop's Song of the Soul. So many good songs, so many rich, interesting, and funny songs that we couldn't fit it into one. So we worked it out to have a double-hitter Song of the Soul. You can find all of Peter's videos and songs, CDs, DVDs, all those things on his website, PeterAlsop.com. And Alsop is A-L-S-O-P dot com. You can find a link to his website on my website, which is northernspiritradio.org. And I'm especially happy to have been able to bring you Peter Alsop's Song of the Soul. I've been a fan of his for decades, and I really think you ought to go check him out. Song of the Soul is produced by Mark Helpsmeet. If you'd like to share your Song of the Soul with the listeners of WHYS-FM Radio, please contact me via my email address helpsmeet at usa.net. That's H-E-L-P-S-M-E-E-T at usa.net. And please join me Sundays at 11 a.m. for Song of the Soul. You can be